Welcome to this week's edition of Off the Record with Randall. Today, we are examining a crazy week in sports. Uh, first, let's make welcome our co-host, the man with the most feedback in the history of podcasting, the Hooters Man of the Year, the man with an egg sandwich before he got on, Howie Chaney. All that's true itself for got to follow that up with something, man. Hey man, after you know, the only thing you missed out on it wasn't an egg sandwich, it was a spam sandwich. So you got pretty close. Uh, I mean a spam egg. It uh, it was cheap a compliment that I said egg. So it, it was it was cheap uh, and uh, cheap and lazy fixings that you know. Speaking of cheap and lazy, this show is both that tonight, but it also is, uh, I don't know how to say it, it's football season and life becomes insane, but it's just not football season right now. There's a lot more going on, Howie. One of the things going on right now that has been huge in the world of pro wrestling, at one point they was five Twitter uh, subjects that applied to AEW and uh, one Mr. CM Punk tweeting, um, I guess, live all over the the country. What's that called? Trending all over the nation. Trending, yes. It was, I think it overshadowed a little bit the other stuff that happened in sports or sports entertaining. It was absolutely unreal. Um, so can you set the stage just a little bit? It was one of the most talked about, about events in wrestling. I'm not going to say history, but it's pretty close. Uh, rumors. <laughs> I, I got no problem. I go, I've got my list of top 20 pops in wrestling history right here. And if you look at number one, We'll get to it in just a minute. It's on there. But, uh, you know, it started about a month and a half ago. Rumblings coming out that one Mr. CM Punk may be returning to the ring. He kind of put out some feelers on Twitter and some of the, uh, uh, I think it's a UFC. Uh, he does some broadcasting for. He kind of put a little, some cookies in there, if you will. And it all came to uh, fruition this past Friday night in his hometown of Chicago, Illinois. So the event that took place was no secret, but it wasn't announced either. So I think that was the AEW did absolutely nothing to, to deny that it was going to happen. But nobody said, hey, CM Punk's going to be here. But just on the rumor, they sold out the United Center, which seats 15, 16, 17,000 people. It's the home of the of the Bulls, most famously mm-hmm. during the Michael Jordan era. And that place was sold out wall to wall. So just the rumor that CM Punk was returning to wrestling sold the building out. Is it sold correct? the building out. Yes. Yes, sir. It sold the building out. And also... The day before the live event, they actually had, they've actually came up with 300 more seats that sold out within minutes. I don't know if it's standing room only. I don't, you know, I don't know the uh, details of that, but 
like you said, 15,000 strong in a building of a potential one individual coming back. And that building probably hasn't saw that since one Mr. Number 23, Michael Jordan, came back in the 93 season, I think it was, when he came back out of retirement. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that building hasn't saw anything like that since then. Okay. No, I'll agree with you. And, and, and they made, they made, they made that point, I think, well, too, during the, so let's build it up just a little bit before we get to CM Punk. So <clears throat> let's put it in historical perspective. So I called you earlier today and I did 20 wrestling moments that were off the chain, loud, people screaming. And let's go up this list. Some of them you might not have heard of. Some of them you probably will have heard of. And let's just go through it and let's see where we have Mr. Punk land. I'll tell you ahead of time, CM Punk makes two of the top five. Two of the top five. Starting at number 20. And I don't know how I started this at number 20, but I could have made this list of 50. I just ran out of spot. Chris Jericho debuts on Raw and goes nose-to-nose with The Rock. Do you remember this segment? I I do remember that. It was uh, roughly year 2000, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere in there. It was. That that was the year that everything is supposed to come to an end because of the the uh, numerical computer systems and all that. But I remember he came on Raw and the the entrance, the countdown, the music was unbelievable. And then all of a sudden he show you know the lights go out and he's up on stage with that uh, jacket that lit up like a Christmas tree. And yes. the lights came on and there he is and goes to the ring and goes one on one with the great one. Uh, and The Rock may make this list more than anybody in the history of wrestling. I don't know. I didn't sit down and figure it out if it was The Rock or Hogan, but they make it a lot. Right. Terry Funk, and, and I did this. I, Terry Funk, you know, is one of my favorite. Terry Funk wins the ECW World Heavyweight Championship. Now, that was a small crowd, but it's a historical pr- proportion for ECW. And if you haven't seen that one, you should... Go to YouTube and just watch it. That place goes ape because it's Terry Funk, you know? Uh, Number 18. The Von Erichs beat the fabulous Freebird for the world's six-man title in Dallas. Well, that's that's a hometown boys. You know, that's hometown boys there. You knew they was going to get a – they probably got a great pop when they came out, and then after they won it, you knew it's probably about – 10 times as loud as they won from being the Texas guys. The next one is real recent. The Hardy boys return at WrestleMania. No one. That was off the hook. No one knew about that one. People that was in WWE uh, connections did not know about that. Uh, I saw a documentary on that where they actually stayed hid in a trailer that nobody knew that the trailer was there except for the ones that were in the know. And even the other team that they were going to go against, which is, a, I think it was a six-man, it's like a, well, it was there's a, like four it, rings. It was, four. Yeah, go ahead. yeah, I know Enzo and Cass was in the ring. 
I know that the B team was in the ring. I don't remember. It seems like there were four teams. Yeah, there's four teams. And nobody knew that they were coming out until their music hit, and that place went ballistic. That was a good one. The Warrior returns at WrestleMania to save Hulk Hogan. That one was unknown, and that one is probably not as well known as some of the other ones, but the Ultimate Warrior had been away for a while. And that's the story. Uh, Corny said today, who we both don't <laughs> shoot on me, Jim. We both either love or hate Jim Cornette, according to the day. So, Cornette, yeah, Cornette was, uh, Cornette kind of kills that one, but it was. <laughs> It was it was loud, and, and the reason the pot was so big was nobody expected Warrior to be back. You know, they felt yes. like he burnt. They felt like he burnt so many bridges in the WWE that he would never be back. And then all of a sudden, his music hits. Long. No, no. And he saved uh, Hogan from Psycho Sid or Sid Vicious, whatever you want to call him. This one, next one at fifteen. Big historical, big historical implications. And it's the first of, I think, twice he makes the list. Ric Flair with his career on the line. I would bet the only time he won the world title as a good guy with Ashley Flair, a.k.a. Charlotte, Reed Flair in the front row, his wife, at the time, in the front row, beats Vic Van Vader to save his career and win the World Heavyweight Championship. Do you have any remember of Charlotte being on WCW? And I think both of them, both of his daughters, Megan and Charlotte, was I mean Ashley was there. It's hard for me to call her Ashley now. Of course, her she, her ring name is Charlotte. So uh, it, it it was it was probably Flair's. I can't come up with another time he won the world title as a good guy. Well, let's be realistic about it. Every time he won it, he was a bad guy, but yet everybody loved him. So, yeah, was he was yeah. he really a was he really a bad guy? He's he was a bad good guy that everybody loved. He was going to make my list. It was just which title run was going to win it. Uh, which of the seventeen the, times? So, well, almost uh, I debated between the Vader and the. The first arcade when he beat Harley Race, that's. But those don't. The Harley Race one was more regional, so I went with the Vader because they were on TBS by then. All right, fourteen. Another recent one. John Moxley joins AEW, comes through the crowd, and spikes Kenny Omega. Yeah. Yeah, that that was a good one. That was one that. You know that, that was really good because everybody knew that he was coming in. They just didn't yes. know exactly. They didn't know exactly when, but they knew he was going to show up. And so it, it, it wasn't. Was, it was kind of a surprise, but then again, it wasn't. But it was still a huge pop. It was. It was almost the Omega. I mean, not the Omega. It was almost the uh, uh, Punk that you knew he was coming, but you didn't know when he was. I think we all knew Punk was even going to be there. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. I keep teasing it. Now, our boy, JC, he would probably (laughs) say this list 
this list one through 20 could be filled up with this one tag team. But I go back to my favorite match. They had just left Mid-South Wrestling and in their first ever match in the NWA, the Rock and Roll Express beats the Russians, Crusher Khrushchev, Ivan Koloff with Nikita Koloff ringside and wins the NWA World Tag Team Championship. Do you think JC Nobody knows anything can. about R&R Express? I, yeah, yeah. I think he knows a little. But <laughs> I'm sorry to all the people that say The Rock was most over, The Sting was most over. Just, I don't know that The Rock and Roll Express wasn't the most over wrestlers in history. Right. Yeah, I mean, they, they were a fan favorite. They're kind of like another Ric Flair. They was a fan favorite whether they, whether they were good or bad, you know, and they they drew, they, they sold. Well, well, Cornette kind of made them a little bit bad by some of his yeah, actions, I, they, you know. Yeah. Well, I was a Midnight Express fan, so I actually cheered against the Rock and Roll Express, but I'd had puberty by that point, so that made me different <laughs> than most of the other ones. Uh, to me, number 12, <laughs> number 12 was a wrestling match that started and all through it, it had people interested and people screaming, The Rock versus Hollywood Hulk Hogan, WrestleMania. That was two, two icons. One of the, you know, in the 90s, 80s, late 80s, early 90s, Hogan in the 2000s was The Rock. So it was something, it was a match that everybody wanted to see, and it finally took place at WrestleMania. And, you know, it was it was great. It didn't last very long, but it the crowd didn't know who to cheer for. I mean, that was one that it was split down, down the middle 50-50. Yeah, yeah. The next one is a double turn. But it happens that makes one guy a huge star in Canada, another guy a huge star in America. The crowd was so into it. Iconic finish that left the crowd almost stunned too. But 40 minutes long, one of the loudest matches I've ever heard. The best there was, the best there ever will be. The hitman, Bret Hart, Versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. Austin passes out in the sharpshooter. The blood drips down his face. Uh, no better moment in a wrestling match, I think. I think that may be the best moment in a wrestling match. And Stone Cold didn't. I mean, he lost because he passed out, but he didn't get pinned. He didn't tap out. So yeah. that's what made that it so great. great. That's what made it so great was because was Brett better than him that match? No. Was Stone Cold better than Brett? No. Brett won on a technicality because Stone Cold passed out. Yes. Now, the other one is an emotional situation. So I'm going to go back to world-class uh, wrestling with Von Eric family. The oldest brother, David Von Erich, had just died in Japan. The NWA had agreed to let Ric Flair drop the title. 
the Von Erich family kind of flipped the coin between Kevin and Kerry. He was going to get the title. They landed on Kerry Von Erich in Dallas Stadium in front of their home crowd, 42,000 people. The David Von Erich Memorial Parade of Champions, Kerry Von Erich beats Ric Flair for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. Right. I, I, you, I, I have no comments. I don't remember that one. But with it being, I think you said it's in Texas. The crowds in Texas are just unbelievable for wrestling yeah, back in the 80s, 70s or 80s. I mean, they they just loved their wrestling. I mean, they would, sell, they would sell house shows out back then just to be able to go and see wrestling in Texas back then. I think the next one is the ultimate WCW moment. Goldberg pins Hollywood Hulk Hogan on TV, on Nitro, to win the World Heavyweight Championship. No one was expecting that. They thought that Hogan would end Goldberg's streak because it was up to 130, 40, 50 victories in a row and all that. Yeah. No one no one was expecting Goldberg to beat Hogan for the title, and especially on a TV show. You know, if it's a pay-per-view, it could be a different story. But on the TV show, nobody was expecting that. And then when Goldberg won, oh, man, you know, it, it blew the roof off. It did. It did. Now, you can pick any of the three that you want to pick. I don't care which ones. The Rock at WrestleMania in the main event versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. The one I remember was in Seattle after Rock had lost twice to Austin at WrestleMania. Stone Cold's last match, The Rock beat Stone Cold Steve Austin one, two, three in the middle of the ring. Yep. Well, Ross going to get pops. I mean, he's a fan favorite. He went from people that don't realize this and know this from the mid nineties. He went from nearly being out of WWE because he wasn't well liked to going to being one of the most popular wrestlers possibly of all time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if he shows up somewhere, he's going to get a pop. I mean, He's just that well-known, well-liked. Yeah, you, it, it, I agree. I agree. Now, there's a Pacific, because Sting would leave and come back as many times as The Undertaker. So the Sting and Undertaker are both going to make the list here, but there's Pacific times that I want them to make the list. This one would be when the Crow Sting returns after a year, <laughs> and he's in the Raptors, and he plays that, you know, uh, little vignette. I started to play it, play it. We all remember it in that little child's voice where it talks about when evil men do wrong. Uh, and, and, and it basically this whole story and it comes back, they will be an, a revenging angel and it sting. And he stands up there with a vulture. He's in the black makeup, white makeup. My favorite moment in WCW history. I remember being in, uh, I don't remember what which venue we was in. I can't remember if it was in Huntsville or Birmingham, but me and a buddy of mine, David Jackson, went and watched. We were in the 300 section, and we went and sat down in our seat, and, I mean, we were up in the upper deck there, and, uh, and they had an area that was tarped off black up above us. I said, hey, Steen's going to come out there later on. He's like, oh, no, he ain't. 
at the end of the show, which that's what happens, you know, you know as well as I do. At the end of the show, that's when he came out. Sure enough, he came right. He came out right above us. I, I loved. I had a cell phone with a camera at that time, but cell phones wasn't a huge thing at the time. But he came out right above us, and you talking about a, a pop there for just a, you know, just him showing up, like you said. He's one of these that would go away for a while and come back, and then when he came back, it was like you know electricity just filled the arena when he walked in. Uh, and, and it it was um, that storyline. This is the reason I I hate Hulk Hogan. That storyline <laughs> played out a year and a half, and all he had to do, Bret Hart in the corner, is. Take a pen, a clean pen. Best storyline in WCW history, and he don't do it. And, I, I mean, you tell a story over a year and a half, and all you have to do is go down and take a fake loss. Yes, folks, we know what the deal is. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was, mm, I was so mad. That year and a half, I was best at right. Okay. Next one, six. WrestleMania 20, Madison Square Garden. The Taker returns to fight his brother Kane. This was not even the main event of the show. The main event was Chris Benoit, the late Chris Benoit. May he rot in hell. I mean, I'm sorry, folks. I just, I'm sorry I said that. I mean, you know, but I, I'm still angry for what he did. But I understand he probably had CTEs, but he was the main event. And he beat Triple H and Shawn Michaels to win the World Heavyweight Challenge. But the semi-main event was The Undertaker with Paul Barrow reunited, beats Kane in seven minutes. And that's the one the Druids were on the stage. And as he came, he shot flames up. He'd been gone like I, I think he had legitly been hit, injured when he left on this one. Uh, I was trying to see how long it was that he had been out. Um, I, um, some reason I, eight eight months is coming to mind, but I'm not sure. I, I think you're right. I think eight months is seriously right. And uh, uh, the eleventh match was the Kane versus Undertaker. After Kane made his entrance. He was looking everywhere towards the interest ramp, and no one believed it. You're not coming out tonight. You're not coming out. I bury. Oh, it was the bury you buried alive match. I buried you alive. After this, the lights in the arena went dim. Paul Bearer, Undertaker's four, former manager and Kane's father, was heard screaming, "Oh yes, oh yes!" A blue light then filled the arena as Bearer carrying the Undertaker's. Former trademark yard led a group of druids out, all chanting and carrying torches up the ramp. As the druids made a formation at the top of the ramp, Bear walked in to ringside, turned and said, Kane, my son, you're no son of mine. He then turned his face to the interest rate and raised the urn to summon the Undertaker. As Kane continued to watch in disbelief, the Undertaker entered the arena as his dead man persona wearing a long black trench coat and a hat and walked through the droid formation. Barry met him at the ringside and directed him up the step where the Undertaker raised his arm to bring the lights up. 
before the official match got underway, now visible and shaken, Kane was shouting at his brother, I will kill you. I will bury you alive. You are not real. I just remember that like it was yesterday. So, Is that the one where they had to bring people out from the back to help put the dirt on, on him? Yeah, that was, was that? the one before that. That was when he left. Okay, him. okay. All right. Number five. And this one at one point might have been number one, but they've been some stuff. Eh, it would have been higher because I've got a couple of recent things or two recent things that pushes it down a little bit. At number five, are you shocked when I say at CM Punk is at number five? Yeah, I'm surprised he's that low. I figured he'd be a little bit higher. <laughs> CM Punk cashes the money in the bank in in Chicago in 2011 and wins the World Heavyweight Championship. So Yeah, pe people could kind of see that coming because it being in Chicago, his hometown. Even though WWE usually don't do any hometown people favors, but when it's CM Punk and the best of the world, you – you go and do things you normally wouldn't do for him. Number four, and I, I really struggled with where to place this one because I really don't remember. Um, I really don't remember where it was at on the list, but um, it wasn't a super moment. Hogan beats the giant at WrestleMania three. Three. It was a historical moment. It was a huge pop. It's got to be in the top five, but it's not one of those. It's it's more historical than the pop that is remembered for. Right. You know, the the big pop of the match was when he picked, uh, picked the giant up and slammed him. That was yeah, the big yeah, pop. That was, that was the main big pop of the night for that one there. But, you know, with Hogan, you know, everybody kind of figured Hogan would win. They didn't expect him to body slam Andre the Giant. And that's when the big not. pop came out, you know. Number three, and this one we need to set some perspective. This is the highest NWA moment, and it involves, um, it was so emotional. This is, to me, this was number one for a while. Uh, the two in front of it, but it was the birth of the superpowers. Uh, Magnum T.A. had been in a car wreck, had long been Dusty Rhodes' partner. Dusty Rhodes is facing J.J. Dillon uh, and Tully Blanchard inside of a steel cage in Charlotte. I think Dusty put it together in his head the last moments, and he builds the superpowers. And Have you ever watched this clip? I have not saw this clip, no. So... Dusty walks to the ring with Nikita trailing him. And Nikita, you don't know what he's going to do. Hold on a second. Do you need something? He's a dad. Okay, I'll get you after the show. Please. Oh, no, really so uh, Nikita is falling behind. Dusty enters the steel cage. Nikita is standing at the door to the steel cage. Dusty goes in, attacks J.J. Dillon and Tully Blanchard. 
and they start to attack Dusty. Nikita goes through the cage and starts to engage. And it, the whole match is about a minute and a half. Howie, if I, I'm gonna, I, I want you to get off today of the podcast, and I want you to type in Birth of the Superpowers in YouTube, and I want you to listen to the crowd. It was electric. Flair comes out. Of course, Nikita gets on top of the cage and starts challenging Flair. It had just ended the Magnum TA Nikita feud. And, and at the time, they didn't know if Magnum was going to live or not. And they were uh, just trying to draw it. It was incredible. Number two is one you're going to remember. And I think it was number one until Saturday, Friday. Daniel Bryant, the Yes Movement, WrestleMania 30, beats Batista, beats Triple H, wins the World Heavyweight Championship. That is an unsung moment in wrestling history. Talking about the ultimate underdog coming back and beating two guys, I don't want to say twice their size, but a lot bigger than what he is, and having the fan support, yeah, it, it was a major pop. Uh, the Yes Movement was outstanding as over as stone cold the rock hulk hogan anything unfortunately the wwe wanted to kill it for some reason and they did kill it um because it got bigger i I feel like because he got bigger than wwe was i feel like that's what a lot of that stuff happens i wonder if some of what's happening with daniel bryant now is involving them killing off that push. Plus, he got hurt. But, I mean, that was... The hurt happened way after that point. Here's the thing. WWE wants... And I know this is kind of off topic. WWE wants to make superstars that'll stay superstars in WWE. They don't want to make superstars that'll go out like The Rock and Stone Cold and uh, John Cena that'll go out and be their own superstars in their own movies and all that. They want them to be superstars in wrestling, not world superstars, if that makes any sense. Right. In the number one moment in wrestling history, pop-wise, CM Punk joins A&W, AEW after... I think it was 2,737 days. If you watch the video clip, there's a camp, there, there's a fan holding up the sign. Have you seen the Tony Khan interview that he came out prior to Rampage going live and how excited Tony Khan was? No, I didn't see it. I, I hadn't even heard about it until you just now mentioned it. All right, so that's another one. Google that one. Tony Khan comes out, and and you can just hear it. He's like, you've what, you know, and he's stomping his foot and you know, he's excited. You know, he's like, like stomping his foot, stomping his foot. He's like, you've paid it. You've waited. You, we're about to make history. He leaves the stage and then the, like the opening package for Rampage happens. All the way through the opening package, package, it, um, all you hear is CM Punk, CM Punk. And if you go to um, Being the Elite, you don't need to watch the whole thing. The first 
probably 45 seconds of being the elite this this week is punk backstage right prior to he walks out. Uh, CM Punk walks out and wow, it goes. The chair went on so long, they had to go to commercial break. I don't know that I've ever seen them have to go to commercial break. And I thought Jim Ross, I even thought Mark Henry all done really well with their commentary. What do you think? I think they did fantastic because they didn't say nothing. They let the crowd do the talking for them, basically. But uh, like you said, CM Punk, as soon as that first note of cult of personality hit, well, like you said, they started out chanting CM Punk when the show came on. Then, you know, they did their, you know, told what was going to happen. That first note of cult of personality came, you know, as soon as that first note hit, the crowd erupts. I mean, it's it was unbelievable. Then they saw him coming out of the tunnel. They got louder. Then he goes and he gets on his knees and does his ritual before he goes to the ring. And then when he stood up and asked the crowd to get even louder, they got louder. I've never seen a pop be so loud and last for as long as this did. Like you said, the music went playing. They had to go to a commercial break. And then they finally came back. And when they came back, the crowd was still chanting his name, wanting him, waiting for him to talk. It was, it was something like I've, I've never saw before. So uh, what did you think of his first line? Oh, God. Do you know what uh, that was? Here, here I am. I've they watched it. I have, guy feel like Rick Baker in Pittsburgh. I've watched it four times already at least since Friday night. And, uh, yeah, it you know, that, that right there shows you he's a team player by bringing in other people as far as bringing other people's names up and, Try and get a pop for them, you know. So yeah, it's a it's it's going to be great seeing what he can do there. And like you said, the, the pop was just awesome. I mean, it was it was just pure out awesome. Everybody I've talked to several different people, and they've like they've never heard a pop like that before. Well, I don't know if my list is complete because you know I didn't do anything that I didn't kind of see or get to see the video of or. You know, I'm sure there's some AWA moments with like the Crusher and, you know, um, and I'll be honest with you, just off of the list, happened in WWE this weekend with, uh, and I think that, I think the, and we'll get into that in a second. I think the Brock Lesnar, I think the WWE kind of messed up the Becky Lynch return. Um, oh, but yeah, I thought yeah, the Brock- that's an understatement. I didn't mean to cut you off there, but that's an statement by messing up Becky Lynch return. I think the Brock Lesnar was great and loud, but before we get into, we're going to do a little high school football at the end of the show. Of course, um, Howie, a lot of COVID going on. We got some concerns about our game this week in COVID. So uh, we want to talk about that a minute, but could, could I go back to one more pop real quick before we go into yeah, this summer ahead. song? One pop that you didn't mention that comes to my mind. Uh, I don't remember what two years ago, Royal Rumble when Edge came back. Nobody was expecting that. That was yeah, a huge. A that was a huge, huge pop. That's just one that's recent that come come to my mind when we're talking about this. I could have gone fifty. Easy. Right. Right. 
Um, I, I will tell you, Edge was right there. Uh, Zena, when he came back, uh, was right there. The mm-hmm. Zena Rock feud is right there. Uh, I, you know, I, I left Zena off, but there's no way Zena don't make my list somewhere. Yeah. Uh, and I think of individual that, that didn't make the list. Zena would be one. Um, Diamond Dallas Page. I couldn't mm-hmm. figure out what his defining moment was. I tried really hard to put a DDP moment on here, and I couldn't find one. But I'm sure there's one out there. Uh, there is... I wanted Literally. to put one on here. I wanted to put one I saw live, but I don't think people would really understand it because it was heel versus heel. And that was a clash of champions that I saw Barry Wyndham, Ric Flair versus the Midnight Express. And the Midnight Express was the good guys. And that arena went crazy for Jim Cornette and the Midnight Express. It's probably the loudest pop. I've been in, in not being a WrestleMania or a Starcade or something like that. Uh, I also have a tape downstairs of the Junkyard Dog versus Michael Hayes. It should be on this list, but I didn't think nobody would understand how big that was unless I gave them 10 minutes of the backstory, you know? Yeah. Um, the locally, uh, there's 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 so many when i was a kid uh there were so many jackie fargo moments that i could have i could have just filled it up so yeah you're right there's a ton of them um one one that i left out that i really i kind of was like i hope nobody calls me on this one because i don't know how to explain it i hope nobody i hope nobody thinks about this one because uh, you know, it, it really, it just, it, there's no, I don't know where to put it on this list, but Undertaker, Mankind in the steel cage where he goes off the top of the, it's a different kind of pop, but it's a pop. It's almost a, a, a anti-pop. It was a silence. Um, mm. Another one that I left off the list, Howie, that I just didn't think people would understand was Really, I believe what created AEW was this one feud. So everybody can talk about why AEW came to exist. But three of the four EVPs that started the company with Tony Khan was involved in the Kenny Omega, Kazucha Okada feud in New Japan wrestling. And that was as big as anything in the world. And Jericho went over there and wrestled a man, a, a, a one match and they sold 15,000 more tickets because Jericho was there. I mean, how's that not, you sell 15,000 tickets cause one guy's on the show. So, but I was really disappointed right. with SummerSlam because they had a lot of star power. Howie, uh, Becky Lynch's return. Let's just hit it real fast. She shows up, the crowd goes nuts as uh, JC, hold on, JC would say, they threw the babies in the air. Uh, Jim Cornette would go, ah, it's perfect. And they beat 
Bianca Belair in 45 seconds. It was horrible. It, to me, uh, we talked about this earlier. Uh, I don't know if it's day or yesterday. 46 whenever, but, seconds. But we had talked about this. You know, it, it basically made Bianca Belair's title run, title reign, however you want to say it, a joke by everybody she beat by her getting beat in that quick of a time. I mean, you know, they could have done it different. It should have been done different. You know, go ahead and let Bianca Belair go against Carmella, have a 10-minute match or something, then then have um, have Becky Lynch come out there and say, hey, you know, this is this was actually my title. I gave it to um, Asuka, so now I want it back, so I want my match now. And then beat her or something like that. Don't just cold turkey come out there, do two moves on her, and it's over with. So uh, the stuff early in SummerSlam, some of it was good. Damian Priest beating, um, beating Sheamus I thought was good. Uh, I thought uh, I'm, I'm tired of seeing the Mysterio as a tag team, so I wasn't interested in that. Um, Edge versus uh, – first off, RKO, uh, that was okay. Um, Goldberg Lashley, absolutely horrible that you fake an injury to enter. And you can't end a match on a fake injury, even in wrestling. I mean, uh, it was so obvious. You know, it was just like. Disqualify them. Do something else. Yeah. Yep. You know, disqualify them. Uh, uh, have them tap out or put a sleeper on them to put them to sleep or something. But to end the match on a fake injury, yeah, that's that's yeah, that's not that's not gonna fly. Man. To me, the highlight of the night was um, Edge versus Seth Rollins, uh, and it comes about midway in the card. And then, of course, to close it, um, John or uh, Roman Reigns beats John Cena, which I think everybody expected it. And out of the back comes the baddest man on the face of the earth, Brock Lesnar. And I don't give a if you're not a wrestling fan, you know I understand it's not your taste, and we don't talk about wrestling too much. But Brock Lesnar is Brock Lesnar. He looked completely different. And, yeah, no, no joke, man. The ponytail, the uh, uh, the beard, and everything else. Yeah, um, it's kind of like I'm sitting here looking at this camera and seeing you on the other side, you know, with the beard, and you just don't have the, you don't have the ponytail like he had. But no, y'all are like spitting, y'all y'all are like spitting images, really, the way he looks now. So I've never been compared to Brock Lesnar. <laughs> I mean, he, he can't. Oh, you know, no. Like, like you said, he is the baddest man on on the planet, and you know, it, it was just, uh, you know. And I don't know if you saw this or not, but after the match was over with and it went off the air, he hammered on John Cena for a few minutes too. I don't know if you yeah, heard about that. He or not. hates John. Cena. I'm convinced he hates John Cena. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Howie, that that's a good wrestling show, folks. We, we uh, 
we might do one more, you know, but we're really getting towards football season. Matter of fact, we opened up football season for both of us this week. Kind of a rough week out, but we had one game in the area canceled for COVID last week. We are trending towards four have already been canceled this week for COVID. Uh, and I don't want to say our game's going to be canceled, but as I understand, there's a chance our game could be canceled. 15 kids, as I understand, that's rumors. Uh, Marion played last week with uh, mostly second string. Kids went back to school, got around each other. COVID broke out. So Yeah, uh, so far, as far as I know, no schools in Alabama has had to cancel anything yet because of COVID. So knock on wood that it won't happen. Was um, the game you were at Sylvania Sacks with our friend Tyler Van? Uh, if you didn't notice when I put up our uh, our uh, intro of the night, I called it "Off the Record with Randall with QB One and Stats Man." So, <laughs> I didn't notice that. No. Yeah. So, what was it like at your game? Was the crowd normal? Uh, it, it was for Savannah. It was a Savannah home game, normal crowd that was there. The band was missing because the band is kind of spoke, you know, quarantine because of the COVID and all that. So there's no band performing. <clears throat> they did bring music in as far as to play in between plays and everything. Kind of, kind of remind me of Falcons game, you know, uh, playing music in between plays and trying to get the crowd into it. Now, Sachs didn't bring a whole lot, but. Normally, when a team has to travel like that, uh, they don't bring a whole lot of people. So, but overall, it's kind of a normal, normal night, normal game. So, for, you know, the good guys came out on the uh, lower end of the scoreboard that night. So, um, just at our game, uh, we played South Pittsburgh. It's number number three in the state this week. Um, the crowd was probably smaller than a normal South Pittsburgh Squatchy County game. I want to call it about 80% capacity, but at kickoff, it was probably 40% capacity. Uh, everybody did get your temperature check to get in the stadium. And mm. at kickoff, I, I told Jeff on the air, I, I said, look, look out there. And, and they was probably a few hundred people literally standing in line trying to get into the stadium. So I wonder if some people might even turn around and went home. But um, did um I don't mean to cut you off, but did did they know he's gonna to have to have a temperature check before they got there or or I, you know I, I don't know. I did not know there would be a temp check because I was I have to go through the pass gate and I was like I didn't have to wear a mask, but I had to go through a temp check for sure. Right. You know, a lot of people probably didn't realize that. That's why it was so low at kickoff because they didn't realize that they're going to have to wait in line and jump check. Right, 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 right. So um, I was glad to go to a football game. I just, I don't know what we're, I'm even asking. I just want everybody to be safe out there. Uh, I don't want to lose football season. Um, COVID seems to be kicking up a little bit right now. I don't know why. Um, everybody's just be safe. But let's talk about some of the games down in your area and tell me what you know about these teams. I got a list up. Um, let me get down a little bit. 
to your area. Um, Cherokee County plays Piedmont. Now, isn't Piedmont just a traditional 3A power and Cherokee's a 5A, 4A school? We've lost our uh, audio from Howie Cheney. Howie, can you hear me? I, I we can't hear you. So uh, I see your mute thing up. Can you try unmuting your mic? I show you're muted. All right, maybe Howie could uh, can exit and then come back in because yeah, you're muted right now. Um, so while we wait on Howie, we'll, we'll, we'll get some games ready for him to talk about, but I wanted to hear his thoughts on the Piedmont, Cherokee County. Uh, also, as we get down to the teams that are closer around the area where he live, he lives, there's Howie back, has no video. I don't guess how he's back yet. Um, just around Alabama. Wow, they've got the uh, North Alabama way down in the bottom. Sachs, who they saw last week, plays Talladega. Uh, Greenville plays Blunt. Sylvania at Sardis. That's the game Cal will be at. Uh, there. I'm back, guys. Sorry about now. that. Uh, uh, I had a so, I had a phone call come in, and I went to swipe it up, and it all hate broke loose. Sorry about that. All right, all right. So, um, Piedmont, Cherokee County. That's a powerhouse three A school playing a, a larger school. It is. If I'm mistaken, Cherokee County is a 5A school. Uh, and uh, if I ain't mistaken as well, they're in the same county. You know, they're probably a 10-minute drive, 15-minute drive from each other. So I don't know for a fact, but you would assume that's kind of a rivalry there, especially with the way Piedmont's been, you know, a dominant team over the last several years. Right. Sachs, who you saw last week, plays at Talladega. What was your impression of Sachs? Sachs is a very talented team. Uh, fundamentally, uh, they got some issues a little bit, but talent-wise, very talented, a good-sized team. Even their quarterback was a as big as most offensive linemen. Left-handed, didn't get to throw the ball down the field, but he loved running that spread, uh, that speed option, that power option, whichever way you want to look at it. And uh, they're they're a very talented, athletic team. Uh, your Sylvania team doesn't get any easier as they draw Sardis this week. I think Sardis is a four or five A school. Um, they're a four or five A school, but they don't normally they don't dress out a ton of players. So you know they're kind of playing above. It's just their location why they're such a big school. You know there there's no other schools close by, so everybody has to go there. 
but it, it should be an interesting game, first road game for uh, the Rams and Coach Van. So uh, looking forward to taking that trip down to uh, Sardis City and seeing, seeing what happens. And, you know, for the folks that don't know, you started this week, last week doing stats for Sylvania for Coach Van. And so you'll be making the travel. Uh, you really don't have a choice because uh, your beautiful dollars in the van. You're going either way. Right. Yeah. Uh, I got uh, I got hired on at about ten thirty Friday, Friday, and I had you know roughly eight hours to get paperwork together and get ready to keep fast at night. How'd you like my comment to uh, Coach Van that he was probably scraping the bar- bottom of the barrel when he asked for you? So uh, I second that motion. I agree. Now, a game I want to ask you about, it's, back in the day was a huge rivalry. Was Collinsville and Crossville, is that still as big a rivalry as it used to be? Not so much. It still is because they're county-wise and, you know, they're 15 minutes apart, you know. and But it, it's still it, – it used to be the game that opened the season up, you know, all, yeah. you know for the okay. county and all that stuff. They used to play it on Saturday night, but now – Crossville is up to, I think, a 5A school, and Collinsville's at a uh, 3A school now. So, you know, Collinsville, I was surprised that Collinsville got beat by section last Friday night. And uh, so it, it could end up being a good game. Fort Payne, and it always was a great – Fort Payne really had two rivals, I felt like, which was the two Jackson County schools and then the two Etowah County schools, which was Gadsden and Etowah County. And they go to Gadsden City. That's a relatively new school. But is that rivalry of Fort Payne as strong as some of the old ones were? Um, I, I say it is because of, you know, the history. You know, uh, Gadsden City was combined in with Etowah and a couple other schools that they were rivals with. So, um, yeah. I think so. Yes, I don't remember which exactly schools it was, but anyway, it was, you know, being just an interstate drive away, a forty-five minute drive away. That's uh, besides uh, Scottsboro and North Jackson. That's the closest game that uh, Fort Payne actually have at home all year, or you know, uh, as far as road game. Right. So the um, the fighting Phil Harris is a Valley Head. Uh, <laughs> They get a handful this week with a playing section. Right, yeah. It it could be, you know, Valley Head's not prepared. They they could be in for a long night. Because it seemed like uh, Coach uh, Hammonds, and if I'm mistaken, his brothers are going against each other. Really? Coach Hammonds, uh, if I'm mistaken, Coach Hammond from uh, section and Coach Hammond from Valley Head are brothers. I may be totally wrong, and I probably am, but for some reason I'm thinking they're brothers. They're kinfolk somewhat. That any association with the Matt Hammett that played at Alabama? I don't. I don't think so. I don't know. No, he's Matt Hammond it was a. Yeah, he was a Hammond. These are Hammonds. Hammond, you're right. So uh, let's go around our area a little bit, and I'll comment on this game. A few games uh, in Chattanooga, you have Baylor playing Innsworth, which is like private school. Big time private school football. Uh, Moore County plays at Bledsoe County. Davidson Academy at Boyd Buchanan. What will be a really good game, Howie? And my friends over in Marion County don't listen to what I say here. Uh, Chattanooga Christian got handled last week 
but I'm going to pick an upset with Chattanooga Christian to beat South Pittsburgh. Uh, really? Chattanooga Christian's got a tailback that's a four-star, and they were playing up last week. South Pittsburgh still without uh, All-State player Geo Davis, still trying to get it going. Uh, I think Chattanooga Christian won't say – I won't pick it as an upset. I, I'll put it this way. They got a good chance to win that football game. Uh, Ray County plays Elizabeth and Ray County got some Alcoa last week, which Alcoa is five times 15 years. Um, <laughs> Megs is number one in the state, plays at King. Community new uh, to this area. Uh, they're not a new school, but they got shifted from Middle Tennessee over to East Tennessee, plays at Lookout Valley. Cleveland, who beat Red Bank in an upset last week, plays at McMahon County. Hickson, my Wildcats, my daughter's a Wildcat, uh, plays at Notre Dame. Red Bank at Ottawa, Sequoia at Polk, Saudi Daisy at Signal Mountain, Father Ryan at Silverdale, Rockwood Sweetwater, Grundy Tyner, Bradley Central and Walker Valley. In the game I'm at, uh, if all holds up, I'll be doing uh, a name that you know pretty well, Howie, Coach Dale Pruitt, and the Marion County Warriors will come calling to Squatchy County to the Indians. Uh, Marion County, very beat up last week. Uh, all state running back Tay Hutchison played, but that was about it. Goes to Grundy and wins 47 nothing, basically playing their. Uh, Second team, Howie. Wow. Congratulations, Kyle Pruitt, for win number 300. Uh, yeah, I, saw, I, I, saw quite a, I saw quite a few of those wins down here in Alabama when he was coaching at the uh, Plainview. Yes, yeah. Did you, uh, did you see the article I wrote for the Marion Messenger about it? And, uh, you know, I, was, I, I did. Uh, I, uh, I, I told everybody in the last few minutes, we'll talk here a little bit about Coach Pruitt. You kind of replaced me at WFPA, you and others, when I left. Um, I was there before Phil. Phil Harris, a friend at WQSB. Uh, he was on our football kickoff show not long ago. And Leroy had me doing color. And Phil came in and just kicked me out of the booth, kicked me to the sideline. <laughs> um, but in a way, I was – I didn't know what I was doing anyway. Looking back, I might have been upset at the time, but I didn't know what I was doing. But by going down there and also heard Phil do football for about two seconds, and I went, well, that guy's better than me. Uh, it was instantly. I was like, I, I couldn't be mad no more. I was like, he's better than me. Um, but I was talking about by kicking me to the sideline, they gave me a microphone, and probably five or six weeks out of the year, I would be on the Plainview sideline counting the playoffs because they would go deeper than everybody else. And we were a we were a county game of the week, and we would try to get around to everybody. But of course, Plainview being the best team in the mountain at that point was their biggest draw. So uh, spent a lot of weekends on that sideline. And, uh, and strangely, uh, when I started in 1991, there was two coaches on that sideline. Both now has 300 victories. How rare is that? I mean, of course, uh, in the very beginning, our friend 
uh, at Fife, uh, Coach Benefield was on staff there with Coach Britt before going to Sylvania. So that first game I did, Plainview and Sylvania, the coaches now have the first game I ever broadcast with me and Phil, which was in the first year, second year, we did Plainview, Sylvania. The coaches now have a combined 613 wins. It's a pretty good start. It was. It, it, it really was. And I was on the sideline for some of those as well. Uh, you and Phil was up in the press box. I was on the sideline. And, you know, that's one thing about it. Uh, you know, uh, Coach Benfield was always great about, you know, he never shied away from a microphone. And Coach Pruitt was always gracious enough to do an interview at halftime, after the game, before the game. I would go on, a, you know, I would go sometimes on a Wednesday or Thursday and do like a, a coach's show before beforehand and yeah. record it and uh you know i'd get there and i'm like coach when is your practice gonna be over with he's like let's hold on and say we'll we'll go ahead and knock off and we'll do this i said no coach you're getting ready for playoffs he's like now nah, we're prepared I'll, I'll take the time to do it right now and you know he is always yeah. gracious enough to be able to do that and uh so you know he but yeah like you said how often in high school at that as well high school football yeah. how how often do you get two coaches that was on the same coaching staff with 300 plus wins or at 300 wins. So this weekend, it's, it's a really a surreal opportunity for me. My biggest markets. And I, I told somebody this the other day, my three, I was you when we were down in Alabama, two of my three biggest markets are, uh, the Dunlap Marion, because our, I'm sports area editor. A lot of people know, some don't know for the Marion messenger. Um, which is job number th three of too many um, on top of this. So I have a good, and, and, and then I'm the voice of the Squatch County Indians on WDSQ. Then I have Hamilton County, which most of our marketing is directed at. And where I live, I live in Hickson. Then my second biggest market it, well, I think Hamlin County is my second biggest market. No, it's my third biggest market. A second biggest market is DeKalb County, Alabama. And a lot of that's due to you. Uh, <laughs> but it's also due to our relationships with Coach Pruitt, Coach Van, Coach Benefield. You know, just all those. And it's really, Sand Mountain is underappreciated as a football, a high school football area, don't you think? Yeah, it is. I mean, everybody loves their high school football. They're going to – you got people that goes and watch games that they don't care who's playing. They just go. Uh, you know, I've, I remember my dad getting ready and going on a Saturday night. Used to, you know, when football season kicked off, you'd have a Thursday night game, Friday night game, and Saturday night game somewhere in Cab County. And he'd get ready and go to all three of them. He didn't care who it was or where they was at. He'd just go. And he wasn't the only one. Is people all across the county that just goes and watches football and well, the sports in general, but especially football because they enjoy the game. They enjoy the sport. Well, our friend, our mutual friend Phil Harris, he still he still thinks we have Thursday and Friday night or Saturday games because he texts me regularly and go, "Was was Quachi happen to be playing on Thursday night?" And I'd be like, no. <laughs> "We've had one Thursday night game since I've been doing it, and he was there." But yeah, I remember that days too. And 
with the late Leroy Stancil, and sometimes we would do a Thursday, Friday, Saturday game. Um, Leroy, I, he just had, he had that voice for radio. Yeah, he just had a radio voice, did, man. Didn't know anything about football, but he had the radio voice for sure. So hey, we were a great crew, man. I mean, and and then after he left, me and you and Phil uh, kind of filled in, and I moved away and. Went to South Pittsburgh, ironically, and kind of did South Pittsburgh for a while, and then moved to the Chattanooga area and did like a game of the week up here. But until I, I landed at uh, Squatchy County, nothing ever felt like uh, the Cap County did for me. Now, I mean, still miss it. I told Tom, I told Coach Van the other day, I was, you know, there's part of me that's still on that mountain. And the article I wrote, I was like. Being on that sideline, I feel like was a great education because I got to listen to Coach Benefield and Coach Pruitt calling plays, and and they gave me complete access, you know. Yeah. And I tell some, I, I you know I got to watch film with Coach Pruitt, and I got to watch film with Coach Benefield, and about one game of watching film with Coach Benefield, I learned more football than. I learned in the previous 27 years, you know, right. you really, really learn football. So. Yeah, you're right. You know, and uh, coach Van told us that he went and spent some time with coach Benefield this summer, you know, to learn more, to help. And coach Benefield, that's a good thing about coach Benefield and, and coach Pruitt too. They're willing to help younger coaches out, teach them some things that, you know, Every young kid that comes out of college thinks they know everything about football and all this. But those two right there have got 300 wins each, and they're willing to share that information. You know, Coach Coach Benefield will be the first to tell you, hey, I didn't invent the football. I didn't invent the football game. But he said, I know a little bit about it, and I'm willing to share what little I know. But his little bit is more cool. than – yeah, his little bit is more than what most people have has ever learned and what most people have done for that. I still think – one of the best lines Paul Benefield has ever said is when I got on to him about not throwing enough to the kid that signed at UAB, and he goes, well, hold <laughs> on. I looked at the stats. We threw to him 21 times, and he caught 14 touchdowns. What do you call success? I was like, well, Coach, you may have a point there. I don't know. So yeah. uh, Coach Benefield's great. And, Coach, uh, I really look forward to this game. Um I hope it don't get canceled. I really don't. Uh, so will you, will, you, will, will you take the time, go down on the field, and talk to Coach Pruitt for a few minutes before the game if you have time? I am actually going to call him tomorrow and see if I can set up a little quick interview with him. Uh, I have not seen Coach Pruitt since the 90s. Um, wow. I've done – I've done – I've done Sequatchie, Marion – with him there, but I've never reached out to him and just cause it was on the road and it was, so I'm going to reach out. Yeah. And I, I want to go, I want to go shake his hand and rem, like I said, I don't expect him to remember who I was. Just go down and maybe thank him for remind him of all the days that he let me roam his sidelines. And the one time that he told me on the air, did I want to tell all of his game plan now or wait a little while? <laughs> That's another great line. Randall, you going to just tell them everything I'm going to do or you just going to 
want to wait a little bit and let me do it first. I was like, hey, coach, I'll let you do it first. So, well, Howie, that'll wrap us up. We went long and for, we've sat here and had seven, eight people on most of the time. There's sometimes we just do a show that we want to do. And tonight I really wanted to talk about CM Punk and high school football. And we'll get back on NFL football and college football and baseball and all that good stuff soon enough. But, you know, I, sometimes when I look up River City Media, it's got my daughter's name on the owner's list. So I can I can force the boss to let me do something. So I just wanted to do that tonight. I look at it like this. I look at it like this. They better enjoy this something different now because in about two weeks, they may be tired of hearing about football, football, football. And, and, and to be honest with you, and, and this is the last thing I'll say tonight, I love football, but I'm going to burn out on football. And I've talked to you about this. Um, yeah. You're generous enough to share your season tickets with me and my daughter often, and we, we go to a lot of games. And um, I really try to get through football seasons in stages. Uh, I try to survive early in the year, uh, and I'm a ball season <laughs> ticket holder. I try to survive going Friday and Saturdays. And, and then as the high school season starts dying off, which it'll die off in October unless we make a playoff run, then I start traveling with you a little bit. And – our football season becomes like mid-August. The year the Falcons went to the Super Bowl, I think we were still going to games from mid-August to almost February. So it was five intense months of football. So, And being a Tennessee fan don't help a lot. I mean, it can get you depressed too. So, You know, we've, we've done that trifecta a few times as far as high school on Friday night, college on Saturday, and pro on Sunday. Uh, I'm here to tell you we're not as young as we used to be. We're not as young as we used to be, and those are hard to do these days. But, uh, you know, um, it's it's fun. It's There's never fun. a dull moment. It's never a dull moment when we go to a game, and, uh, you know, and uh, it's, it's great. I've done, a, I've done a four. One time in my life I've done four. Uh, no, five. Thursday night, Friday night, two games on Saturday, and one on Sunday. And I had to take a vacation day on Monday to recover. Uh, high school game on Thursday, uh, college game on Friday, or high school game Thursday, high school game Friday, uh, Alabama, Tennessee, Saturday, then drive across the state and seen Auburn in Florida, and then to the Falcons game on Sunday. Uh, so, it, ain't, it ain't one more than what you've done, but I did a Braves game on a Saturday and then a Falcons preseason game on a Saturday afternoon. So we left straight from Turner field and went straight to uh, the Georgia dome and watched a football game. So I did a baseball and a football in the same night or same day. Didn't you do NFL and uh, NBA too in the same day? No, I'm wanting to, I want to so bad. I can't stand it, but it don't ever work out where I can. Uh, well, I'm telling you, I've seen, and I, in that article I wrote, this is 30 years, roughly. I took a couple of breaks. I took a couple of years off here and there, but 1991 to 2021, 20, uh, I, and I sat down and I figured, 
I've probably called right around 300 games myself. And then you think about Coach Pruitt and Coach Benefield have won 300 games. So uh, it's a lot of football. And uh, I've probably been going to Tennessee games for right at Last year, I think I figured up it was the first time in 42 years that I didn't go to a Tennessee game. So, anyway, love this is uh, this is a year in our 19 with the Falcons, and uh, I hope it's a, uh, a better year than last year. Uh, go, Josh Rosen. We were going to talk about that, but it, we're going to <laughs> for Randall Cunningham, uh, last words. I'll see you in one hour with three R Sports. Howie, you got anything? I will see y'all next week with uh, Randall here on Off the Record, and who knows what we'll be talking about then. Probably whatever we make up on Monday night. For QB1, for the stats man, good night.